Good morning, church. If you have a Bible, I would encourage you to open it to Romans. We're going to be uh, towards the end of chapter 6 of Romans this morning as we continue our study through the book of Romans. And I'm going to read um, verses 15 through 23 of chapter 6 in Romans. And you can read along with us. Uh, We'll put it up on the screen if you don't have a Bible or anything like that. Um, So Romans chapter 6, verses 15 through 23. Let's read this together, and then we'll spend some time unpacking it. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one to whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you, who were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness." I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruits were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So think of something for a minute that you are willing to put a lot of work into, something that you, by choice, will just spend lots of time and energy on, not because someone's making you, but because it means a lot to you. It could be your golf swing. Uh, People spend a lot of time on a golf swing. It could be your trains. It could be your lawn. For a lot of us, it's simply the thing that you're working on and the job that you have right now, that thing that you're not doing it because your boss is making you do it. You're not doing it because uh, you won't get paid if you don't do it. You're doing it because it matters to you. It might have to do with your family. It might have to do with your community. It might have to do with the way uh, the city you're a part of itself is run or just a specific thing in your own life or your own family that you're like, this really needs a lot of work. Think of something that you are willing to put a lot of effort into, not because someone's making you, but because it means a lot to you, it matters to you. Think about rolling up your sleeves and trying hard to do something like that. If you don't know, if you can't think of anything after the service, ask your spouse and they will tell you what the thing is that means a lot to you that you are definitely willing to put a lot of extra work into, or ask one of your friends. No one ever asks the questions that I tell them to ask their spouses or their friends after the services. I think that's because we know they will tell us the truth. What would it look like 
if you were to take that amount of effort that you put into that thing, and you were to put that amount of effort in to the idea of being holy, of being righteous, of living for God well. I mean, what would it look like to actually roll up your sleeves, get some calluses on your hand, get your hands dirty, doing the hard work that you're willing to do for a lot of other things that we're all passionate about and want to see happen in life that no one has to make us do? What would it look like to work really hard at doing well? Because what we talked about last week was the simple fact that God has chosen, as crazy as it seems, to use a sinful people as a way of bearing his name and his image, bearing his image to the world. He uses individuals, he uses an entire people in Scripture, he uses the church here. And so what we do if we've been saved by faith, we care about the good things that we do after that. Not because they earn us our place with God, but because he says, you are now able to bear my name the way that you were always meant to. The question that we asked last week was, are we more prone to study and think and talk and analyze and reflect on and discuss the things that God tells us matter when it comes to living well for him? Or are we prone to roll up our sleeves and get our hands dirty doing them? This is what we talked about last week that we see a little bit in our passage this morning of what it means to take the very members of our body, the parts of our body, everything from our mouth to our ears to our hearts to our limbs, and to instead of letting those things be instruments of sin and of death, letting them be instruments of righteousness. What we look at this week as Paul moves on is something that has popped up again and again and again, and it is this. When you tell a group of people who have spent thousands of years focusing on following rules as a way of uh, doing the right thing, of being right with God even, what do you tell a group of people that are conditioned to see rules and restrictions and the law as what saves us? What do you tell them when the law isn't what saves them anymore? Well, the first thing that people are going to do is ask, then why should I, dot, dot, dot. Why should we even bother with how we live? Why should we even bother with the things that we do? Why should we even care? I mean, think about a world where nobody has to follow the rules. Think about the children running up slides instead of going down them as we all know that they're supposed to. Think about the public pools where people are running constantly, no matter how much they're being yelled at to stop running. Right? Think about the people going on bike rides, cracking their heads open. Think about the people going out on the cold without sweaters. Think about all of the things that would be happening if we didn't have rules to tell us what to do. Think of the, of the drugs and the alcohol abuse. Think of the crime. Think of the prostitution. Think of the, the lying and the cheating and the stealing that would abound if we didn't have rules to keep us all in line. If you've lived any amount of life, you know that the rules aren't what actually keep us all in line. There's something else that dictates why we do what we do. And as much as a religious person will be inclined to believe that it is the expectations God has on us that dictate everything that we do, the truth, according to Paul in our passage this morning, is something very simple. It is so simple. It is so simple and yet I'm not sure 
that all of us here this morning are even in a place where we're willing to hear this simple thing that Paul has to say. What Paul says here in our passage this morning, first and foremost, is this, and it is pretty revolutionary. First, I'm going to read you the first couple verses as we look at this. The first few verses that we read this morning were this. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? The first thing that Paul makes very clear to us this morning in our passage is this. We all serve something. Paul is going to go as far as to say we are all slaves to something. That is the last thing most people, most of us, would ever want to actually believe. That we are, no matter what we do in our lives, slaves to something. Not me, we say. I choose what I do. I choose who I am. And if I was ever a slave to something, I would do everything in my power to become free, to make those I love free, so that I would no longer be forced to do something that I don't believe or want to do. I don't believe is right to do, that I don't want to do. But Paul says we're all slaves to something. There's no other way to be. When I'm a slave to something, when I'm a servant of something, when I serve something, the way Paul's talking about, because when he talks about serving and being a servant and being a slave, he's talking about something that's somewhat different from our understanding, especially in America, of slavery, because we tend to think of slavery as chattel slavery, people being kidnapped from another continent, brought to, uh, the, brought to America, being forced into, into servitude generationally after generationally after generationally with no choice whatsoever in the matter. Uh, in Paul's day in which he's writing to the early church, uh, what it meant to be a slave, to be a person who was a servant, was uh, most of the time... Um, something that a person did because there was no other option they had in life. They had gotten into financial trouble. They had gotten into difficulty. And so because of that, they were poor. They they had debts. They had things piling up. They might have even been a criminal. They might have come out of jail. Whatever it was, people forced into situations where they're like, I have no other way to live. I'm going to have to sell myself into slavery. I'm going to have to be a servant of someone. And so the moment that I begin that, being a servant to someone else, I lose the ability to control my life. What it means to be a servant in the context Paul is talking about, what it means to be a slave is this. You no longer have control over your life. You don't have control over the different things that you get to do, over your choices. This idea of choice and freedom is not a thing that applies to you anymore. Your life is dictated by what your master tells you to do. It's not a matter of whether you want to do it. It's a matter of what they say. If they tell you to do things that are good, great. If they tell you to do things that are bad, you're stuck. You don't have a choice. There is something that is so incredibly wrong to us about the idea of being forced to do something without a choice in the matter. I am constantly... uh, 
fixing and building and growing and doing things physical and tangible with my hands. That is the way that I uh, like to be. It's the way I like to relax. I'm constantly doing stuff. I like to stay busy. I don't really like to sit. One of the things my daughter and I love to do is we love to work in the garden because she likes to stay busy, and that's a good way to stay busy. Uh, And so we do that all the time. There's nothing more relaxing to us. There's nothing more uh, enjoyable to us than on a nice sunny day getting a shovel out of the shed and beginning to work out in the garden. But there is a tremendous difference between my choosing to go out on a nice day, get a shovel, and do work for myself than there is being forced to go into the same shed to get out the same shovel and to do work that I don't want to do. These very things, a rake, a shovel, a dustpan, which to me are tools of joy, were at one point in my life objects of slavery. Because when I was a child growing up, there was nothing more horrible than one of my parents handing me one of these things and saying, go to work. It was the worst thing in the world. For a while, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it for joy. I just couldn't. It was like PTSD for me. I saw the the rake hanging on the nail, and I just had to stay away from it. I never picked up leaves for a while because I thought, I don't have to anymore. No one's going to make me do it. And now that I'm a parent, and I have children, and we've begun trying the excruciatingly painful process of teaching them how to do things that would be much easier to just do ourselves... I have learned what it is to be the one forcing another person to do something they don't want to do. I am the one running the chain gang now. (laughs) There is something about even doing a specific thing for ourselves because we choose it versus being forced to do it and not having a choice. Slavery and servanthood feels fundamentally wrong to us. But what Paul says here is that we are all servants of something. We're all slaves to something in the way that we live. In fact, any of the things that can be good for us and good to us in our lives can even become things that we are slaves to. We will all offer ourselves to something more than we ought to. We all worship something. We all serve something. We are all working away for something. And what Paul says is exactly what those things are. The list isn't very long. In fact, there's only two of them. He goes on to say in the next verses, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. The question for each and every one of us, every human being who is alive on this earth today ever has been and ever will be is simply this, will I serve sin or will I serve God? Will I be a slave to one or will I be a slave to the other? There is no other alternative. It's like the only thing worse than being told that we're slaves is being told that there's only two options. There's not even that many things. According to Paul, when we are set free from sin, we're set free for only one other alternative, which is to be a slave to righteousness itself. 
sin or God. In verse 16, he says, you can be a slave to obedience. In verse 18, he says, you can be a slave to righteousness. In verse 22, he simply says, you can be a slave to God. These are all the same thing. To be a slave to God is to be a slave to righteousness. To be a slave to righteousness is to be a slave to obedience. He says it's the only other alternative besides where we start out. Here's the way it works, the Bible tells us. It starts at birth. It starts from the very beginning of our lives, this bondage in which we live. We become slaves to sin when we are born. And because we live in the flesh, that means we're born into bondage. That means that any effort you make towards doing the right thing, towards being a good person, towards even showing God that you want his ways over yours, it is ultimately like working with chains on. Because this is what the Bible tells us is where it starts. So as long as you live in the flesh, as long as you live in this natural state, the word in the Greek used to describe flesh again and again is sarks, and it is this physical body that we live in. As long as we live in this, uh, we started out in the flesh, born as slaves to sin. There's, there's, uh, it, it's the idea right now, uh, a very appealing idea to us right now is the idea of all things that are natural, right? Uh, for something to be natural, maybe another way to put it is for something to be organic, is a very good thing. It's something that, that we want, that we'll pay extra money for, because we like the idea of being as close as possible to the natural state of things. We'll spend a lot of money on organic food. We will use natural household products. My sister once showed me that the kitchen cleaner that she uses can be sprayed on her tongue. And uh, have you ever seen that? Have you ever had somebody spray the kitchen cleaner on the tongue? Okay, yum, great, okay. That's natural. I don't want to use harsh chemicals in my house, around my children, uh, around my parents, uh, around my food. Uh, I don't want to use things that are unnatural. I want medicine that is natural. I don't want to put a bunch of stuff in my body that's strange and foreign and made from chemicals. Uh, the idea is that if you strip all the, all the artificial and man-made stuff away from something, you get a pure and a clean and a better version of that thing. But there's something even deeper than this. All the effort to avoid growth hormones in our food, pesticides on my strawberries. Well, Paul, all, all of the effort to do that is built around the idea that getting to the most natural state of even myself is the best state of myself to get to. Paul says something that is the opposite of that. He says, when you began in your purest, cutest, cleanest little form, you were enslaved to sin. In your most natural self. How strange and confusing is it that most of us were born with some of the best resources that could possibly be made available to a little human being who is born, and yet that is the state in which we're born. We have pregnancy classes that help us 
have every benefit and opportunity to start out life best for our child. We take prenatal vitamins. We have the best doctors and the best nurses. We get tours of the best birthing suites long before we go to actually have our baby because why? Of course, of course we want the absolute best for our children to start out in life. And many of us were able to start out like that. Above all else, parents are willing to give and do anything for us to have every possible opportunity to have a life of freedom and of health and of abundance. And yet, with all of that, according to Paul, each and every one of us, with all of those benefits, is born into slavery. We are born into a state that is not that different, spiritually speaking, says Paul, that is not that different from people who are born into bondage. People who are born to those who are currently serving in slavery and bondage and have masters, and we now are born, and it seems, belong to those same masters. Now, Paul himself says very clearly, he gives a disclaimer here, because uh, one needs to be very careful throwing out ideas like slavery and servanthood when you're not talking about people who are physically toiling in that way. It's incredibly insensitive to do. And Paul even says, I am speaking in human terms because of your understanding of this thing. He says, I have to use a physical example that is shocking to you that will make sense to you about the state in which you begin. With all of the resources and with as natural as we want everything to be, the truth is that state in the beginning is us being born into bondage and not at all being free to do what seems good. And that is hard for us. That is hard if we come to realize that because man longs for more than anything, choice. The idea that we are not free to choose is the most oppressive idea to us. God created us to serve him, though. He created us to not live independently of him, but to live dependent on him and in service to him. And man, we read about from the fall of man, exchanged, Paul tells us, the truth of God for a lie. Man exchanged serving God and submitting to God as our true and good master for something else. Why? Because we thought it would actually bring us freedom. This is the thing that people constantly do and struggle with again and again and again. The idea, the lie that man believed and continues to believe is by being free from God, we are able to live as we want. Don't let God hold you back by serving him, by letting him be your master, by being his slave and his servant. Don't let God hold you back with that. Be free, says the enemy. But the truth that the enemy is calling us to is serve me. Serve the flesh, and what that will bring us is very, very bad. You see, freedom, this idea that we long to take hold of so greatly, is ultimately a lie. The idea that we really can be free and independent ourselves and not serve someone because of the way that God created us to be. You see, the Bible describes freedom as a release from the bondage of sin, so that I cannot serve. Uh, the Bible describes freedom not as the ability to be completely free and independent from all things. 
Paul says here, for us to be liberated is to be released from the bondage of sin. So what we talked about last week was that the good news of the gospel is that we are now able to not be defeated by sin. The great encouragement from last week that we talked about is that you no longer have to lose the battle to sin. You no longer have to give in to the master of the flesh. You now, for the first time, if you've accepted Christ and have been transformed by his grace, you now have the ability to choose something better. Everybody say amen. Amen. That is very good news for us. But it doesn't mean that we will choose something better, does it? Many of us don't feel all that liberated, we don't feel all that free, and we certainly feel like we struggle constantly as we live in the flesh with the effects of sin, with the temptation of sin, with what feels like the very power of sin in our lives. So what Paul tells us here is he describes for us the process of choosing one master over another, because that is what we must choose. As much as we want to believe that we can choose to be completely independent and free to do things for ourselves. there are only two choices according to Paul. And if you've been free from enslavement to sin, you are now free to be enslaved to God, to be a slave, a very servant of righteousness itself. And here, says Paul, is how it happens. He says it starts with teaching. He says uh, that what we're doing, it sounds a little bit kind of confusing. He says, you've become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. So what happens is we start out living in the flesh, we start out in bondage and sin, and we have to hear the good news of the gospel. It has to be taught to us, told to us. We have to hear it. We have to take it in from outside, which is why an evangelist, an evangelical person is somebody who is a bringer of the good news, the good news of what has already been done for us, which is this teaching. So he said you you hear the teaching, And you become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Well, that's a lot of stuff right there. It starts with the teaching. It's kind of weird thinking that no matter how uh, we grow up, no matter what environment that we grow up in, no matter how familiar we are with the Bible and with church, and with the Ten Commandments, and with spiritual things, and even being a part of a Christian family, that if we don't actually hear the gospel itself, and know that that is what we are hearing, that we cannot choose to be free from this slavery of sin. All the rules aren't going to get us there, says Paul. All the other things, all the celebration of all the holidays, the the community that we might be a part of, the relationships we might form, as good as those things are, are not the things that will ultimately liberate us. It is the teaching of the good news that begins to give us the ability to be set free. Paul's dedicated his entire life to teaching and preaching the hope of the gospel, and he's reminding people who grew up with these incredible stories of of Moses and of Abraham and of David and Goliath, people who grew up going to temple and celebrating holy days and who know the Ten Commandments by heart, probably know a whole lot more than just the Ten Commandments by heart. He has dedicated himself to teaching, amongst other groups, this very group of people, the good news of the gospel message itself. You can spend your whole life trying to be the kind of person God wants you to be, but you're still going to need to be born again at some point. 
You see, we hear the good news and we must be, as Jesus tells Nicodemus who comes to him and says, what must I do? Jesus says, you, a great guy who's got great stuff going on, who's very impressive to people, who knows way more about the law and scripture and the forefathers of the faith than most other people ever could. You need to start over. You need to be born again. The truth, the teaching of the word of God must come in, he says, our hearts have to take it in. You have to become obedient from the heart. It's interesting that Paul says that. Our very hearts have to be changed by it. Last week I used the example of drilling down into rock all the way. This invasive drilling process that happens when the truth of the gospel pierces our heart. And as much as we'd like it to stop there, it doesn't. He feeds in a little stick of dynamite and detonates it and it blows us up from within. And then we're like, now what am I supposed to do with all this? That that is actually the beginning of the process of us rebuilding our life in Christ. But we must have that. We must have it in our heart. And they must be changed by it. If we are born again, if we've heard the good news of the gospel, then we now have been released from the bondage of the enemy and we are free to do something that might feel counterintuitive to us, which is we are free now to serve a new master. The question that Paul is asking the church, the readers, us today, there's a couple questions. The first one is this, very simply, do you actually believe that you're a slave to something? Or do you have a view of yourself that is so high and so mighty that you say, not me, I'm choosing all the stuff I'm doing. Not me, I'm in control of the things in my life. Not me, I can handle this much of the flesh. I can handle that much of the other ways. I can decide these things for myself. I can hold this thing back from God because I'm capable of that, unlike other people whose lives are a total mess. Paul says, you're as much a slave, prone to slavery, as everyone else. Do you recognize it? And the other question is, If you've been freed from sin today, if you've been liberated from it, have you made the choice to now become a servant of a new master? Not a consultant of a new master, not a kind of an independent contractor of a new master, not a freelance worker for a new master. Have you started the new job and rolled up your sleeves and said, you get to dictate how my life goes Now, and I will hold nothing back from you because I don't have a choice because I'm now your servant instead of a servant of the enemy. We cannot serve God with some of our heart and not the rest. We must give over everything that we have. Doing anything else, says Paul, is simply choosing to turn back to an old form of slavery. And just like the Israelites wandering in the wilderness continually wanted to choose to turn back and go back to the security of the slavery that they knew. Moses called them forward. God used him to call them forward. Why would we do this? Why would we choose a new master? How bad is it really the way it was before? And to this, Paul points out for us exactly what is at stake and what happens as a result. He says in verse 20, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Good news. When you're a slave to sin, you don't have to do anything good. You're free. You're free from having to do anything that involves righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? 
What fruit were you reaping from living that way? And for most people who are on it, I mean, honestly, if you're in this room right now, if you're hearing the words of Paul, you're probably in a place where you're like, I got to be honest, I'm ashamed of some of the things that happened as a result of my slavery to sin. Even the times when I thought that I was on a great place, that I was doing well, and I was mature enough and strong enough and smart enough and independently minded enough that I could handle some sin, that I couldn't handle that sin that I wasn't in control like I thought I was, that I wasn't supposed to operate that way, that I began, once again, going back to being a slave to the old way. He said, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The choice that we have to make is do we want to earn one of these things or the other? But there is no other option. There is no third option. We either choose to slave away for a master who will richly reward us out of his incredible generosity with death. The enemy says, I will give you all the death you can handle. I'll start giving you death before you're dead. Because that's the only thing that the wages of sin bring. The language Paul's using here is a person who's worked hard and gone to get their paycheck, and they're like, what did I get? Death. Oh, that's what I was working for. Ultimately, this is how work begins. You go, I need some money. Where can I earn some money? And you go find a way to do it. It's the wages that drives the work. When Paul talks about the things that we are ashamed of from our past, he's probably also alluding to the fact that much like being a servant and being a slave at that time, you probably did some bad things, you made some bad decisions that got you into this place of being a servant. Or you didn't do bad things to get you there. You had no choice. You were born into something so similar to it that there was no other way that you could live or crawl out of it. And as a result of it, instead of being ashamed of what got you into it, you're ashamed of the life that you now live because you never had anything better and you feel like the control is completely gone. Either way, you look back and say, I'm ashamed. The wages of sin is death. He will reward us richly for it, and we can always count on it. And the real death that comes that is greater than anything we would experience on this earth is far worse, Paul warns us, in the life to come. But the gift of God, because here's the truth, the work that we do for our master, the work that we do in serving him, we don't do to earn anything. You notice how he says at the end, it's still a gift? He's going to give you something. You're probably not going to be able, you're not going to be able to, to work hard enough and well enough that you're going to earn something good. He's going to have to give you the gift of that thing. And the gift that he promises us is life. Being a slave to sin meant that you were free from righteousness, which may have seemed good to you, but what does it cost you and what comes of it? The fruit of it, says Paul, is death. What I was saying before is that 
Paul's message in this passage is a fairly simple one. It is this, we are all serving something. We don't have the autonomy that we want to believe that we have. And it's hard, especially living in a country where freedom and liberty are such values that we believe that we have them already. What Paul says instead is that it is more a matter of asking who we will be servants of. And what the enemy says to the person who has been saved by faith is the enemy says, come on back. Or, you're not saved, you're still my servant. The appeal in Scripture again and again is, you have been set free. Why on earth would you go back into bondage? You don't have to. And and we go, yeah, why would anyone do that? I wouldn't do that. I would never go back. I would never go back. And yet, if you know anything about what happens when a person spends their entire life as a servant, that sometimes even when freedom comes, it's terrifying. It's unsettling. And when the master says, come back, I'll provide you security, I'll provide you safety, I'll provide you what you know and what you're comfortable with. What we realize is the scariest thing about serving our new master is the unknown about what that's going to look like moving forward. Something I came across years ago as I was um, as I was looking at this, this idea of people being freed and going back was um, a letter that I found. And it was a letter from a man who was a former slave in America. And he had been freed and his master wrote to him kindly saying, you have no other possibilities or options for your life ahead, so come back and work for me and I promise I'll be better than I was before. And there is this incredible letter from a slave who who wrote back to his master saying exactly what he thought of this offer to come back into bondage. This man who had finally been freed, whose family had been freed, has a master saying, come on back because you know there's nothing else that you can do without me out there in your freedom. Here's what he says to his master. I'm going to read a little bit of this to you. He says, I got your letter. And I was glad to find that you had not forgotten Jordan, that's him, the man writing, and that you wanted me to come back and live with you again, promising to do better for me than anybody else can. I have often felt uneasy about you. I thought the Yankees would have hung you long before this. (laughs) He says, although you shot at me twice before I left you, I did not want to hear of your being hurt, and I'm glad that you are still living. He goes on to tell his former owner, he calculates up all of the money that he should have earned for all the years that he worked for him and says, if you will pay me back all of that, then I can at least trust you at your word moving forward, but I'd still have to really think about it. He says, as to my freedom with which you say that I can have, there is nothing to be gained on that score. As I got my free papers in 1864 from the Provost Marshal General of the Department of Nashville. He ultimately declines his master's offer, saying, you have nothing to offer me, and I need for no reason to go back and serve you again. He says, we trust the good maker has opened your eyes to the wrongs which you and your fathers have done to me and my fathers in making us toil for you for generations without recompense. 
Here I draw my wages every Saturday night, but in Tennessee there was never any payday for the Negroes and more than for the horses, any more than for the horses and cows. Surely there will be a day of reckoning for those who defraud the laborers of his hire. He signs it from your old servant, Jordan Anderson, with a P.S. Say howdy to George Carter and thank him for taking the pistol from you when you were shooting at me. I absolutely love the idea that when a master reaches back out to someone who had been in bondage and tries to tempt them back saying that they need the security they offer, they need the life they provide, that, they're, that, that freedom from them is not really going to be better, that a person would be able to reflect enough to respond to that master and say, I am already free. Why on earth would I ever return to bondage? What Paul is saying to the church in Rome with the good news of the gospel is if you have received Christ and responded to him, you are free. You are no longer a slave to that master, to the flesh, or to sin. And if that is the case, then the most foolish thing that you could ever do is to go back. To go back ever, even once, for even a second, and live as though you are someone who is not free, but is enslaved to sin. We have a new master. We have a better master. We have a master who loves us so much that when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Who will freely give us the gift of his grace and his love and eternal life. Not because we have earned it, but because he created us to serve him well. Let us choose that rather than give in to the fear and the slavery that was before. Let's pray. Father, honestly, the hardest thing about looking at a passage like this is our pride makes us want to believe that we are good on our own. That as long as we have the freedom to make choices for our own sake, for our own self, every day, day in and day out, that, that, that that's the way that we should live. That what you want for us even is to be in charge of our own destinies, our own lives, our own choices, because we can be trusted with those things. Father, it is so hard for us to actually believe the simple thing that Paul says here, that he assumes is a given. which is that we are servants one way or another. God, would you give us the humility and the self-awareness to see that you are truly the good master, that you call us to serve you, that you call us to trust you, that you call us to give all of our lives for you because you are good and because you are holy. And Father, would you cast out in our hearts the fear that brings us back to our old master. We are no longer slaves to that fear. We are slaves to you, God. And it is in that that we rejoice. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.